This is a CNIB Foundation podcast. Because Braille. Hi, welcome back to Because Braille. I'm Rhonda Underhill Gray, and today in the studio in Toronto, I have Karen Brophy. And Karen is here today to talk about why we're doing this podcast and what it's all about. So, Karen, Maybe you can start by explaining what we're going to be hearing over the next few weeks and why did you decide that this was an important thing to do? So we're actually over the next few months Ah, between World Literacy Day in September and World Braille Day in January 2020. We're going to be hearing every couple of weeks from a different Braille user. Uh, We have some interviews lined up with Braille transcribers and other people who are Uh, instrumental in the field of Braille and Braille literacy. And I just thought it was important at that time of year, particularly, to start getting the message out about Braille and why it's important. And I thought that since we're getting into the business of podcasts, it was a perfect way to do it. Well, with children going back to school and students requiring a number of different things in Braille and the Braille um, event that comes up each year in the fall, there's a lot of activity around Braille. Absolutely. And as anyone who knows me uh, is aware, I've always wanted to do something magnificent for World Braille Day. Uh, We'll see what we can cook up between now and then, but uh, at least with the podcast and pushing this out through social media and through the Facebook page and through every venue that we can find, we'll, uh, we'll generate some excitement around Braille. Well, what's been very interesting over the last few weeks as we've been interviewing people is the amazing stories that we're hearing from Braille users. Absolutely. There are some very dedicated people working in the field, and we're fortunate to have a lot of them affiliated with CNIB. Well, we've heard from volunteers that have volunteered for 55 years. Um, We've heard from people who've talked about the... Uh, the changes in the last few four decades in Braille devices. So it's been a really exciting journey that I'm really hoping that our our audience will stay with us um, for and to have an opportunity to experience some of the amazing stories that we've heard over the last few weeks. It's It's a very exciting time for Braille, I think, because we are beginning to get some momentum around uh, Braille technologies. And I think the future looks very bright for Braille and uh, excited to see what's going to happen. Well, I find that it's very interesting, Karen, how the further, the faster we move through some of the technology with the um, the changes and the, the things that are happening with the iPhones, they're not excluding Braille anymore. So Braille is still becoming part of that whole experience. Absolutely. And what sort of things have you learned about or, or seen happening with the technology? Oh, gosh. Well, I've been at CNIB for 30-plus years and uh, actually was hired to work in the Braille department. was my first job with CNIB Library. That's when CNIB was hiring child labor, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the time that I was working in the Braille department, I was actually um, copy typing, so taking a print book or a print document, propping it up in the desk in front of me, and using WordPerfect uh, to to capture that information and running it through the Duxbury Translator. Duxbury Translation Program was quite new at that point. And uh, walking, walking myself down the hall to collect the Braille 
uh, embossed copy, bringing it back to a proofreader who was uh, the only person in the office who knew Braille, uh, because I certainly didn't. I was basically formatting it using uh, certain codes that you can can integrate into the document to have it set up a paragraph, have, have it set up a table. So I knew that much about Braille that I was learning about the different formatting that was required. But I was basically working with a WordPerfect document, and then I would take the Braille copy to the proofreader, and they would tell me what was wrong and, and send me out to to fix it. And uh, it wasn't actually until I left the Braille department that I had the opportunity to learn Braille. So when you came to CNIB, you were not familiar with Braille or it was new? It was absolutely new. So what was your perception before coming to CNIB about what Braille was all about? Honestly, it had not crossed my radar at all. I had no understanding of Braille. I had never been exposed to Braille. Uh, it was I did not know any Braille readers. Uh, I I don't know in the '80s whether I would have seen Braille in any public spaces. I don't think elevators were labeled mm. or anything like that. Maybe via rail, maybe mm, <laughs> depending maybe. on the train. Yeah. I, I remember that my uh, dad had a a Volkswagen, and these. Plastic seats on the Volkswagen felt like Braille dots. <laughs> and everybody kept saying, what does it say in Braille? What does it say in Braille? And it, of course, had no no meaning to it. It was just bumps. But it was actually the what a lot of people thought Braille felt like. And it, it did feel very much like Braille. Uh, but it was uh, kind of one of those times when people sat on, like, plastic seats. Oh, oh I <laughs> yeah. know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was no exposure for you before? There wasn't. And, you know, it's interesting because within a, a, I would say within a few years of working here, obviously starting in the Braille department, I, I moved on to a couple of different positions in the organization. But we, at that point in the CNIB library, we did a lot of tours. And initially, I'm a very shy person, so I don't like to give tours or do a lot of talking, or I didn't back in in that in the day but it was so interesting to talk to people about braille and there was such an appetite people would come to the library and want to hear about uh, the braille format and and how it worked and and what we had available and what we were producing and i had the opportunity to give start giving tours and it was just it it was so interesting to people and so interesting for myself to talk about Braille, it sort of built my understanding of Braille. And I remember very early on in my career of giving tours at CNIB Library, someone overheard me talking to uh, a tour group and talking about Braille and saying, you know, it's it's like a secret code and, and, you know, just imagine how hard it is to learn Braille. And someone took me aside and said, you need to stop saying that because... If you think about it, learning to read print and all the different shapes of the letters and all the, it, it's just, it's its actually probably more simple to learn Braille because you don't have all of the variations with the script and the printing and the, the uh, uh, handwritten print. It, it's actually more simple and you need to stop. And I did stop talking about it as being some amazing accomplishment for people who were able to to learn to read Braille. It's just 
what people need to do in order to access the written word if they can't see it with their eyes. And it's interesting that you say that because I've seen you teach a group of grade four students to learn the basics of Braille in less than 15 minutes. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about how you do that? So we've, we've done a couple of workshops. We do them at public libraries. We do them wherever we can get a group of kids together. They, the best age, I think, is probably around grade three or four. I think it's actually part of the uh, public school curriculum that they introduce disability studies and awareness around that time. So that's sort of the, the best age to grab them at. But what I found is that kids are just so attracted to the idea of reading with your fingers and reading in different ways. So what I will do is I have a this big poster board that I've made up that has the Braille alphabet spelled out, written out, and uh, it's designed in three lines. So the first line is the first 10 letters, then the second 10 letters, and the remaining letters with the letter W sort of off to the side. And when I'm explaining the way the layout of the Braille dots works, and it's interesting because I've done this with people who learned Braille a long time ago or were never presented with Braille in this particular layout, but there is, there is a system. There is a system. The first 10 letters use only the top four dots. If you sat down and thought about it, you would you would realize that there is a system. The next 10 letters are the same as the first 10 letters with the addition of the dot three, and the letters below that on the third row are the same as the two rows above with the addition of dot six. So A adds dot three to it and becomes K, and then K becomes U when you add dot six to exactly. it. Exactly. And it's interesting because when I'm introducing it to the kids, of course, we show them the first 10 letters, and then I draw their, these are sighted kids, so I say, now let's look at the next 10 letters and tell me what you notice. And they instantly get it, and it's very cool to watch. So they've learned the first 20 letters of the alphabet yeah. in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So where did Braille come from, Karen? So I'm a little rusty on all of the dates, but Louis Braille was a French uh, teenager, basically, who was at a school in Paris, I believe. He was sent to away to a school in Paris to get his schooling. He uh, had lost his sight uh, initially in one eye because of an accident. And I believe infections spread between the eyes. In any case, he ended up totally blind. And he was sent away to school. And while he was at school, they were teaching them to read using... Uh, do you know what it is? The, it's, the raised letters? or Yeah, they're, they're, they look like English letters, I believe, but they're or French letters, I guess, in that case. <laughs> but they were raised, so... Super bulky. Um, of course, you have to memorize all of the different shapes of all of the different letters uh, by touch. So you have to be able to distinguish between all of them. And I think they had maybe one or two books in total that were available in that format. And they had a visit at the school by a gentleman who was in the military at the time and 
had an interest in testing out a system that he had, which was called night writing, I believe, which used not only dots, I don't think. I think it was a series of dashes and dots in in embossed that you could feel. But the purpose of it was so that he could send messages in the trenches between uh, soldiers who were fighting in the trenches at night without having to, I guess, shout out uh, things that they didn't want the enemy to hear. Um, and so he was testing this out and I guess brought it to the school, I believe, and, and had the students test it out for him. And Louis Braille just took it from there and he simplified it. So he made it dots only that could be read by touch. And he just, he, he simplified it and streamlined it so that we were just using the six six magic dots. Ah, it always comes back to those yeah. six magic it dots. It does. So Karen, things have changed over the years with Braille. And it sort of comes in and out, I, I guess, as we need to. Uh, and as technology changes, how we can use Braille and how we can utilize it in a, an effective way. Why is it still such a hard sell? I don't know. I, I, it, it feels like we keep having the same conversations with the same people sometimes. Um, it, I think technology is making it really hard for people to understand that the, the importance of Braille, I don't know. So when you hear people say about children that they really don't need to learn Braille anymore, the technology is so great that they can get audible books and the computer talks to them. So, you know, Braille is a lot of effort for them to to learn and and really they're not going to use it much. What do you think or how does it make you feel? It makes me feel sad because I feel like... So from, from the CNIB library perspective, what used to be CNIB library, now the circulation of books through CELA and public libraries, audiobooks are fine for adults. Um, it gives them access to all kinds of amazing, uh, amazing resources. Uh, they've already learned how to read. They learned how to read. A lot of our uh, participants, a lot of users of the audiobooks, have lost their sight later in life. But for children to take that opportunity away from them to say, you're just going to listen to books, you're not going to have have the connection with how things are spelled, with the, the structure of, of the English language, with grammar and all the important things that you need to be able to turn around and be able to produce written documents, it, it really is just taking the power away from them. So it's rather absurd if we thought we were going to tell people not to teach the children how to read at all. Exactly, exactly. We wouldn't do that. Yeah. So I'd like to do something a little bit fun. I'm going to ask you some questions, <laughs> and I want you to respond really, really quickly, <laughs> just for the fun of it. So if I were to ask you, have you ever read an entire Braille book? I have not. Okay. I have not. I Let me just talk about this for a minute. <laughs> so I worked in the Braille department, um, but I mentioned I, I did not know Braille at the time. I didn't learn Braille until, and I learned Braille by sight 
until CNIB finally decided that it would be helpful if some of their staff who were not Braille readers could actually read Braille by sight. Uh, So they devised a course, and you'll be hearing at some point over this podcast series from Darlene Bogart, and she was the one who actually uh, designed that course and taught it to me. And we learned how to both read Braille by sight and produce Braille on a, a Perkins Brailler. But no, I have never tackled actually reading an entire book. So when you read Braille, do you read it with your eyes or your fingers? I read it with my eyes, and I, I keep meaning to settle down and, and put some time and effort into learning how to read it by touch, maybe one of these days. And do you read grade 1 Braille, grade 2 Braille? So after I left the Braille department, I went to something called Transcription Services, and that was a department that was organizing back when CNIB was producing textbooks, we were the point of contact for schools and and resource centers and students who were looking for material. We were the point of contact for organizations that wanted to produce their menus in Braille or agendas for meetings in Braille. So we would make the arrangements with the recording studio, with the Braille department, and the finished document would come back to us So we were handling a lot of Braille. A lot of Braille was passing through my hands, and I had to be able to tell which side was up and and which document was which. So I had my hands on a lot more Braille, my eyes on a lot more Braille. And at that point, I would say I was pretty proficient at reading contracted Braille. Now I kind of rely on what I remember of some of the contractions, I, I can usually piece something together between the uh, the letters that are just represented as, you know, is the equivalent in Braille, and the few contractions that I remember, I can usually put something together, but pretty rusty. Do you have a favorite Braille contraction? I don't have a favorite Braille contraction, but I love the letters G and X. I think it's just something about the symmetry of, of the Braille configuration for those letters. So last year we had a pretty exciting uh, fall and we met a very interesting artist from France who was involved in a project called The Little Prince. Would you like to tell us about that and and what that was all about? Yes. So The Little Prince, uh, if you aren't familiar with this story, I recommend that you Find a copy of it, put your hands on a copy of it, and read it. It's my favorite book. Um, I actually have a couple of tattoos on my shoulders from the book. Uh, it's about a, a boy who is, he has an encounter with a pilot who is stranded in the desert, and he dis- he's from another planet, so he describes to the pilot what his planet was like, Um, what his travels through the universe were uh, like, who he met, and has some very interesting uh, sort of philosophical things to talk about um, that have... It's a children's book, but not really. So um, what this artist has done, it's it's a blind artist in France, and he has designed a series of tactile illustrations that represent different parts of the story. So, for example, the little boy leaves his planet, and he does so by 
taking advantage of the migration of a flock of wild birds. And the illustration in that book shows him holding on to uh, a fistful of, of strings that are attached to birds that are pulling him up into the air. So what Claude, his name is Claude Garand, has done is done that as a tactile diagram. And he's put together this beautiful box set, which includes the story in, I believe, print in, is it contracted or uncontracted Braille? Doesn't, I, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and, sure. And with the, uh, the illustration in both, I think, uh, black on white, sort of large print, and also as a tactile version. And he's, he came over last fall to do a workshop, a drawing workshop, with, uh, with some of our participants. And also because we were uh, featuring a movie, a film, which was released last fall, which was called The Invisible Essence. And it actually featured one of the uh, GTA participants, a, a young boy, who we connected with the film's director as he was developing his story. And it talks about this child's experience of the world as a child with sight loss and how that relates to the story of The Little Prince. And just there's a line in The Little Prince where he's talking about uh, our experience of the world and he says, what is essential is not what you see with your eyes. I'm paraphrasing. It's what you feel with your heart. Uh, what is in, what is essential is invisible to the eye. It is seen with the heart. And uh, so that's sort of the tagline of the film. And uh, it, it was just a very, a very interesting opportunity because we had children in the room with the artist who was blind. Uh, some of the children with the who were blind, either blind or had sight loss, different degrees of sight loss. And he was just encouraging them to draw. And it was very interesting because a lot of the kids had never done that. And I, I know you had some stories about that. Well, I remember the little girl whose dad was just moved to tears because for the first time in his daughter's life, and she was six or seven at the time, she had never been interested in drawing because she could never see what she was drawing. Yeah. And so with this tactile um, process, she was able to, to feel the things that she was drawing, and it, and it certainly changed her perspective of what her little brother was doing when he was always drawn because apparently he does that a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because then the little brother started being interested in drawing so his sister could feel it. Nice. So very... Uh, in-depth kind of learning both from the adults and, and the kids. And yeah, that. and, I, yeah. you know, I think that kind of speaks to all my experiences at CNIB and all of the programs I've sort of collected along the, along the years and during my career is that I'm always aware of different ways of learning, and, and this is very popular now with uh, kids with different um, learning disabilities and just exposing kids to... Uh, to experiences in different ways, there are there are some children who have full sight who are tactile learners. And, you know, putting things into a child's hands or under a child's fingertips, it it makes them think about 
things in different ways. And and some people, that's that's the way they learn. I mean, for, for kids with sight loss, their fingers are their hands. And, you know, you need to, to put words and, and pictures where they can where they can experience them. And in this uh, series of podcasts, we're going to hear about one woman's experience and how she believes Braille helped her brain uh, restart itself after a stroke. Absolutely. We have a, uh, so I work out of the GTA hub and we have a, a club there, the Braille Club at the hub. And at one of our recent meetings, uh, a woman attended, she had heard about it through social media and she cited she has a learning disability and she's learned to read Braille. She reads Braille with her fingers because she can't read visually. She she has full sight, but it's just a different way of reading. And she finds that, um, I don't know if it's dyslexia that she has, but she can read through her fingers, but she can't read by sight. It's just so interesting to me. And, and I think uh, people are becoming more aware of all the different approaches to learning that are available to us. So tell us a little bit more about uh, the club at the hub. <laughs> Braille club at the, the hub. hub. Braille club at the Love hub. Love the name. Yeah. So we started uh, a couple years ago. It's uh, We've had our, our ups and downs. Uh, we have a dedicated group of uh, sort of a core group of participants. Uh, we've recently taken the club sort of onto Facebook and we're just making people, you know, within the CNIV community as well as outside, uh, aware that they are available and willing and able to help promote Braille. They've they've helped me give some workshops at public libraries, as I mentioned, and they're just they're all very passionate about Braille and just looking for opportunities to to spread the message. Is that Facebook? Uh, group and open group. It's a closed group, but they're very friendly. If you <laughs> okay. uh, if you get in touch with the uh, the Braille Club at the hub, they'll uh, they'll have a conversation with you and find out what your interest is, and probably invite you to join. And it can be something as simple as within the group, we have some people who are interested in doing presentations, and they'll come to the public library with me. But there are others who we've we, there's this one woman who said, you know, I have a, a a group at my church, they're interested in knowing how Braille works. So I've set them up with a, a kit that they can take out. It has some simulated Braille activity sheets. It has a, a commercially produced print Braille book that they can show. And they're the experts, you know. They're the ones who read Braille with their fingers. So I, you know, they probably learned to read a long time ago. I just give them a bit of a refresher from the perspective of someone with sight tell them what they need to convey, um, what people will find interesting, and I just give them a, a stack of materials and send them out to spread the word. And some uh, participants have even taken this into their senior groups or their condo groups to teach the basics of Braille as yep. well. Yeah. Yeah. Very awesome. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. i am uh, got great optimistic uh, ideas for hopefully with this podcast we'll be able to bring into the lives of people and help people recommit to Braille. Yes. I had a moment last year at the Braille conference myself where I was like, yeah, you know what? I can read better and faster and I'm more sure and confident when I read Braille. Why am I not reading more Braille? Yeah. And I got rid of my notebooks and I don't use them anymore. It's it's Braille only. 
uh, for the most part in my day-to-day um, work because it is quicker, it's less messy, a lot of things uh, going on there with me around the Braille stuff. So I have one more question for you. Okay. And I know this is a question in, in, in sort of flux, but maybe you've got some ideas. But how do you plan on celebrating Braille 2020 World, Day? World, World Braille Day. Day 2020. Has, has such a nice ring to it, doesn't it? I think World the 2020 Braille thing. 2020. You know, I I have some ideas. I, I have some connections I need to make with some organizations where I'm hoping they can help us get the word out about World Braille Day. It's it's a bad time of year, January 4th, Fourth. is it? Yeah. And uh, I know people come back. I know I come back every year after Christmas break and think, ah, oh, it's World Braille Day. <laughs> I missed it again. So how can our audience help? What could we do as a community to bring this to the forefront so people you would know, know about it? You know what I think would be would be good. And you can start doing this now. You can start doing this anytime over the course of the fall or winter. I think what would help a lot would be, you know, I, from my perspective, I'm a sighted person. I'm talking about Braille. That's great. But what kind of opportunity do people have to watch someone read Braille? And I mean, this is just something that you do. But trust me, People are fascinated to watch someone read with their fingers. And we have this, I'm a bit of a knitter. I'm a bit of a crafter. We have this day, it happens sometime over the summer. It's called Knitting in Public, Knitting in Public Day. And uh, just taking something that is ordinary to you and maybe private to you, but just doing it out in public. I mean, we see people reading uh, print all the time. Uh, on the subway, on the streetcar, on the street, you know, where we're, print is available to everybody everywhere. Everybody who has eyes to see print, it's everywhere. It, there are ads, there are newspapers, and I don't think people have the opportunity to see Braille as much. And I think it's important because it it reminds people that there are other ways of reading. And they don't think that, it, you know, well, those people who read Braille, it's just magically available to them somehow. Well, no, it's not. Not unless there's an organization like CNIB making it available and not unless people are helping us advocate for it. Maybe we need to do one of those, um, what do they call them? Flash mobs. Flash mobs yes. of everybody showing up someplace with Braille material. Yes, let's do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. And you've been listening to Rhonda Underhill-Gray and Karen Brophy in the studio And we're here today because of Braille. For more CNIB Foundation podcasts, visit cnib.ca slash podcasts.